So, um, as I mentioned at the beginning, we're, we're talking tonight, we're exploring and looking at uh, the eighth uh, limb of the Eightfold Noble Path. We spent a number of months going through the Eightfold Path, right understanding, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. Um, and some of the teachers, depending on who you talk to, will say, if you, if you hear it, the, generally that's how the path is outlined, right? In this kind of linear way. And for some teachers, they'll say it just points to the fact that samadhi, sama samadhi, right concentration, is, is the goal of the path, right? All, all the different limbs of the path lead to this last limb, which is this state of mind that is the state of mind from which awakening will happen. And I thought I would read to you the Buddha who, describing his awakening, um, um, this is on the night of his enlightenment, uh, he sits down, he, he sets his intention to uh, meditate until he finds freedom. And then he says, and he, abides, he starts to go into the absorptions of concentration. And he says, when my concentrated mind was thus purified, bright, unblemished, rid of imperfection, malleable, wieldy, steady, and attained to imperfection, in perturbability, I directed it to knowledge of, and then he, he can use his mind in this way. He actually directs it to a recollection of past lives. And then he, he, uses, he uses this mind. And it's this quality of mind that characterizes the capacity for um, a depth of insight. Mindfulness builds this, mindfulness will reveal this, but it leads to this, um, to concentration, which has these qualities, purified, bright, unblemished, malleable, wieldy, steady, and attained to uh, imperturbability, imper I can't say it. Thank you, imperturbability. I hate that word. <laughs> I just I have to find a different translation. <laughs> really, imperturbability. There it is. Okay, but it it's really describing a certain kind of mind. And when you start to ha concentrate, when the mind starts to concentrate, you know it because it's like, oh my goodness, it's like it becomes whole in a certain way. Or, or it, it has a sense of, um, actually it has a certain kind of both pleasure and sense of um, unity. Um, one of the definitions for concentration is the unification of mind, but it also has a, a, a malleability. You, you can use it. It's not just a, a shut off kind of concentrated and there's nothing else. No, it's, it's bright. It's actually a bright mind. It's a it's an alive mind, and then when that mind turns towards something, the power of concentration is there. It can penetrate. 
And so I'll, I'll just read you some more, just so you hear a little the Buddha talking about it. So, you know, he enters into these absorptions, and then he said, um, he, and then he says, such a pleasant feeling that arose in me did not in, invade my mind and remain. He said, but with this concentrated mind, which was purified, bright, unblemished, etc., etc., I directed it to the knowledge of the recollection of past lives. And I recollected my manifold past lives, one birth, two births, many births. And thus, with their aspects, aspects and particulars, I recollected my manifold past lives. So he, you, you, this is one of the powers of mind, we could say, that is possible for us to begin to see more deeply into reality. And then he, he says, this is the first true knowledge attained by me in the first watch of the night. Ignorance was banished and true knowledge arose. Darkness was banished and light arose, as happens in one who abides diligent, ardent, and resolute. And then, but this, he didn't stop there. And he says, and then again, when my mind was concentrated, purified, bright, unblemished, malleable, wieldy, steady, you know, this is, this is the mind. You want to, when you hear these words, you can think about them, but also just feel your mind. This, these are not qualities of mind that are separate from you. This is the, if you have a mind, these are quality of minds that are part of our mind. That the mind can be bright, open, clear, steady, malleable, wieldy, pure. And he said, I directed, and then I directed it to the knowledge of the passing away and reappearance of beings. And thus with the divine eye, which is purified and surpasses the ordinary mind, I saw beings passing away and reappearing, inferior and superior, fair and ugly, fortunate and unfortunate. And I understood how, how beings pass on according to their actions. So in the first watch, he has a personal vision of himself and his whole understanding of how he became. In the second watch, he starts to have a vision of everybody. And, and really the vision is of how karma works, how actions create concentrate, uh, actions create constant, boy, I'm not speaking, I had a big bike ride today and it's not so helpful. Consequences. Uh, let's see, where does he go from there? So second night, watch of the night, he says, true knowledge attained by me in the middle of the watch of the night. Ignorance was banished, true knowledge arose, darkness was banished, and light arose, as happens in one who abides diligent, ardent, resolute. But he didn't stop there. He said, but such pleasant feeling that arose in me did not invade my mind and remain. In other words, he continues. And again, with the mind that was concentrated, purified, bright, unblemished, he directed to knowledge of the destruction of the taints. And this is a euphemism for awakening. It means the fetters or the obscurations or whatever gets in the way of actually seeing the truth of the way things are. And he said, and he said I knew directly as it actually is, this is suffering. 
This is the cause of suffering. This is the cessation of suffering. This is the way leading to the cessation of suffering. These are the taints. This is the origin of the taints, the cessation of the taints, the way leading to the cessation. And when I knew and saw thus, my mind was liberated, free, pure. And then came the knowledge, oh, this is liberation. So this is the Buddha's awakening. And you can read this in the Pali Canon in the, in the middle-length discourses of the Buddha or a few different places. But it just begins to give a picture of the mind that awakens. And it's the reason why concentration is an important part of the Buddha's path. That there, and some people have very concentrated minds. Most of us, no. You know, we're, we're okay, we're kind of normal. But the meditation practice can actually both begin to um, orient us towards a mind that concentrated, begin to clarify for us what is a concentrated mind as we practice with something as simple as the breathing. And it's like all of a sudden, like I said, you know, it can be, oh, we're aware of the, we're aware of the breath. The breath is over here, it's breathing, and we're aware, and we're aware, and we start to, we start to hone in on it, right? We start to hone in, oh, there's, we're staying with the beginning and the middle and the end, and we start to get closer and closer and closer. And then there starts to become this, separ this lack of separation, this unification of mind. And actually, everything else will fall away at the deeper levels of concentration. Everything else will fall. It's like there'll be nothing else but just the breathing and the knowing of the breathing. It's not even like there's a breather at a certain point. And it's, it's nice when that happens. It's very pleasurable. It's very satisfying. It's actually very nourishing. There's often a certain kind of relaxation. The nervous system can relax. We're not desperate, desperate. We're not fragmented. We're not in a bunch of different places thinking about this and over here and there doing this. And, but actually, we're just here now. And the breath centers us in the present moment, in the here and now. And this is where awakening happens. Here and now, always. Never happens in the future. Never. Never happens in the past. It only can happen now. And so part of concentration is this, and, and the, here you see there's this, there's this image I like to do. My hands always do this when I talk about concentration. They go like this. Because it's, it's the, one of the uh, ways the, the original Pali term for samadhi, it means to collect or compose or gather or bring together, unify. And one of the images that I like for really the first stage of absorption, this is from the Buddha. He says, just as if a skilled bathman or bathman's apprentice should pour bath powder into a brass basin, like a nice bowl, 
and knead it together, sprinkling it again and again with water, right? You, you've got the powder in the water, and it's or like flour, and you're, you're kneading it together, you're bringing it together. And he says, so that the, so the bath man or woman apprentice would pour the bath powder into a brass basin, a bowl, knead it together, sprinkling it again and again with water, so that the ball of bath powder, saturated, moistened, uh, moisture-laden, permeated within and without, would nevertheless not drip, right? You're bringing it together, so it's very full. It's not dry at that point. It's very full, it's very rich, it's very alive. But it, it wouldn't drip, it would nevertheless not drip. Even so, the monk or, or nun permeates, suffuses, and fills this very body with the rapture and pleasure born of withdrawal. And there is nothing in the entire body unpervaded by rapture and pleasure. And you could, we could use the breath the same. We want to we let the mind um, permeate the body in the breathing. We want to let the breath fill the mind, fill the awareness. So there's nothing else, and it's, it's saturated. The mind saturates the breathing in the body. And it means, and, it's, and, it, and the, one of the beauties of concentration practice, and this is one of the beauties of all the Buddhist teachings, is they all interrelate. So in order to do this kind of saturating and, and sinking into and immersing, you have to be very aware of what's happening. You have to be mindful of where, what the attention is doing and what the breath is doing. And so in the process, you start to see all the things that aren't, that are not concentration. All the ways the mind wants to go over here or over there or do this or think about that or or have an opinion about that, or you know, have some fantasy about this, or have some memory about that. And what you're doing is bringing all of those in, all of those in by staying with the breath. You're not actually trying to get rid of them, you're including them. Okay, so now I'm thinking I'm gonna still stay with the breathing. Now I'm having this feeling I'm still gonna stay with the body and the breathing. So it's bringing it all in, it's all inclusive. Bring it together using mindfulness, using the right effort, so that and and using the the uh, wise view or right understanding. We're not judging ourselves for having the thoughts or the opinions or the memories. We understand this is how the mind. We're training the mind. We're teaching the mind how to unify, how to find its natural ground, its natural center, and then finding the benefit. When, once we find that, once we get that, then we go on to penetrating or looking deeply into the nature of what it is to be a human being. I have some... Where would that be? This is from um, a nun called Dantika, from a book called The First Buddhist Women. 
And it's a poem. The name of the poem is What Was Wild Before? What Was Wild Before? She says, as I left my daytime resting place on Vulture Peak, I saw an elephant come up on the riverbank after its bath. A man took a hook. I think, it, I think we would say like, uh, you know, like when you put a leash on a dog or something. Really, I think probably better translation is a leash. A man took a leash and said to the elephant, give me your foot. And the elephant stretched out its foot. And the man mounted the elephant and rode away. Seeing what was wild before, gone tame under human hands, I went into the forest and concentrated my mind. Anybody notice they have a wild mind? Anybody not have a wild mind? That's a better question, right? I mean, our minds are wild. They'll go, they'll go anywhere. They'll think about anything. They'll tell us anything, right? And it's usually bad, <laughs> right? How we, you know, just about meditation, what bad meditators we are, or how we should be doing it differently, or how we should have started 50 years ago, or something. It'll just tell us all this stuff. We, we don't have concentrated minds in the way the Dharma points to. We do know a lot about concentration, and it's important to recognize that and to see that because we can use it. A lot of us know about concentrating through athletics, right? Swimming, running, bike riding, mountain climbing, whatever it might be, any kind, dance, arts, painting, writing. We might know a lot about reading actually, can be very concentrating for a lot of people. Um, one reason we like the movies a lot, it's, it's very con we stay very concentrated, right? You ever go to a movie and at the end it's like, oh my God, where am I now? You've been so concentrated. So it's good to see that, it's good to acknowledge it, because we do know a lot about concentrating. We also generally have a certain amount of baggage with the word concentration. You know, many of us were told if you don't concentrate, you'll never get into the right school or you'll never succeed or you'll, something bad will happen if you're not concentrated. And so um, to get concentrated meant to get tight or tense or a kind of uh, uh, um, contracted effort. Um, you know, or even though just the word concentration camp, right? I mean, that's like, that's like not the kind of concentration we're talking about in the Dharma. But it's, it's our associations with concentration. It's one reason why I like the word samadhi better. Partly because it's the original word, partly because we don't have the baggage we have with concentration. And it's a beautiful, and really our word concentration, I mean, I'll read you some definitions, because there are a lot of good definitions, but you have to hear a number of them to really get the flavor of what samadhi is, because samadhi is much bigger than what we conventionally think of as concentration. So concentration, the definition 
means to draw or bring together in a common center. So it has to do and con sent centra to bring together con center, to become centered, means to collect the mental faculties, thoughts, and give them a, a direction or purpose or to move towards a center, to come together in one place, to agree or come into or be into harmony or accord. This is from the dictionary about concentration. This is much closer than to the word samadhi, but not how we usually think about concentration. So again, it means to come into or be into harmony or accord. And actually, the concentrated mind is a mind that has a sense of inner harmony, inner accord, inner sense of generally peacefulness or stillness will be part of concentration, as well as this brightness. And, and uh, that's why the Buddha talked about a kind of purity of mind when he describes his concentrated mind. It's actually very pure. It's not, it's not a moralistic purity. It's a purity of awareness itself. It's very pure, very clear. With this tremendous capacity to look directly at what's here, as things as they are. <clears throat> Another definition from the dictionary: to bring the parts of of things closer into union which is, again, one of the nice words to think about with concentration or samadhi, which is unity or union or communion. And I think that might be the best word we could use if we're going to use mindfulness of breathing to, to become concentrated, is to think about communing with the breath. Because when you commune with something, it's not thinking about it. It's a more intuitive, it's a more uh, uh, energetic, it's a more kinesthetic relationship. It's more direct, more immediate. And then any word with centra means a point around which a circle is drawn. And I like that. I like that very much. A point around which a circle is drawn, meaning we're aiming at the breath. But the breath is, is not the goal. We're, we're using the breathing to concentrate the mind, and then the concentration can be vast. The breath is the point. The circle will ultimately include everything. The concentrated mind can, is aware of everything without losing its concentration, ultimately. I don't quite know how to describe it. I have a funny image of my, in my mind now as I'm talking about it. It's like the point. The point is one direction of the concentration, but there's another direction, which is the mind itself. Because that's what becomes concentrated. So we often get a little, and this may be a, a limitation in our teaching, but in the way we've taught mindfulness of breathing because we put so much emphasis on the breath and mindfulness of the breath, but it's actually the mind that becomes concentrated. And then that mind, you know, there's, there's the one-pointedness of being with the breath, but then there's what's called kinaka samadhi, and that's moment-by-moment -moment concentration. 
And, that, and in that kind of concentration, one is not focused on any one event, but on everything that may be, anything that may be happening with the same presence, brightness, malleability, sensitivity, openness, clarity of mind, and, know, and the capacity to know. And then I, it's always nice to hear some synonyms for what we're talking about is concentration, close attention, attentiveness, single-mindedness, absorption. And it's really the, the uh, training of the mind so that it can understand or permeate or penetrate reality, which just means what's here right now. It's not something far away. It's this reality. It's the mind that's here right now. It's the presence that's here right now. It's the aliveness that's here right now. That's beyond our usual way of conceptualizing. It's actually beyond conceptualization. So the knowing, the penetrating, is a direct knowing. And then, of course, we can talk about it after we know. We can conceptualize later. And it's, it's, it's good. It's good to be able to learn how to train our minds to begin to collect ourselves to compose ourselves and find ourselves here. Because every place else is really an idea. There, there is nowhere else but here. That's all there is. Everything else is an idea. Some are good ideas, some are bad ideas, some are ideas of the past or the future. William, William Yates, William Butler Yates said, he said, we can make our minds so like still water that beings gather about us to see their own images and so live for a moment with a clearer, perhaps even a fiercer life because of our silence. That kind of presence of mind that the Buddha realized is actually the water that we gather around today. It still lives. That's how powerful the clarity and the knowing and the presence of that mind can be. So I could say lots about samadhi. Let's see if there's any more that I want to say. Um, I'll say a little bit more about the breathing and then let's open it up for discussion. Uh, It's deceptively simple. If 
if you want to learn how to concentrate, let go of everything but the breathing. When I first did like kind of serious samadhi practice, I only got one instruction. Everybody, anybody know what that was? Stay with the breath. Stay with the breath. And I would, I was calling up my teacher at the time, every day or two, and getting an interview, and I would tell him all this stuff that was happening. And every once, then you know, after a couple minutes, I'd be done, and I'd wait to hear what he was going to tell me. He'd say, "Okay, stay with the breathing." And then I'd go and practice for a couple days, and call him up, and you know, this happened, that happened, this happened, and he'd say, "Good, good, stay with the breathing." And this went on for, you know, a week, ten days. Finally, I said, are you going to give me any context at all? He said, only if I think you need it. Stay with the breathing. And then, and then as the meditation deepened, actually started to get really deep, very pleasurable, very rapturous, and uh, uh, having a lot of rapture in the breathing, whether I was standing or walking or eating or sitting, and I called him up and I said, oh, I don't care. I don't care anymore. I'm totally happy. This is, I'm having all this rapture and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I heard him pause, you know, like, okay, now we're, now we're getting somewhere, right? And there was this long pause. And then he said, uh, stay with the breathing. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then it dropped. It went to another level of absorption. And then actually he talked to me a little bit. But it was very helpful, that instruction, stay with the breathing. So, of course, I could stop there in the instructions for you tonight, stay with the breathing. But the reason why it's helpful, why it's a great instruction, is because it's so simple and it's so difficult. It'll show everything, it'll reveal everything that's not the breath. It'll reveal all this kind of movement of mind. It'll reveal all these ideas about ourselves thinking we can't do it. I know I can't do this. I don't know how to do it. Well, that's right. You don't know how to do it. That's not a bad thing. That's how we learn how to do things is by not knowing. Not knowing is the source of true knowing, always. And so we want to not know so that we can learn. It also, there's a very important dharmic principle in an instruction like stay with the breathing, which is, as you notice, he wasn't given me much. So you're thrown back on yourself. And this is very much in the Buddhist tradition because the Buddha said, be a, be a lamp unto yourself, be a light, discover your truth. Only you can do that. Only you can do that. Nobody else can actually do that for you. You can have all kinds of experiences with teachers, but then the teachers go. You can have all kinds of things happen, but it's up to you. It's your life. It's your practice. Ultimately, you're the master of the Dharma. It's 
There's no other way. And that's a beautiful teaching and an important teaching. And so a practice like just staying with the breath begins to throw us back on ourselves, on our own resources, and in some sense develops our capacity for creativity, for intelligence, for a kind of resiliency, appliancy, creativity to come forward, for the investigative quality to come forward very strongly, for the uh, learning how to make mistakes and learn from our mistakes, how to let go of judgment and ideas and beliefs and just continue and taking one breath at a time and practicing in that way. It's a beautiful, it was a beautiful teaching. I think I'm going to stop here. I've got tons of stuff, but let's, let's see what kind of questions, comments, reactions. Stand up, please say your name. In where? In Hawaii, when we were doing Vipassana, that there were two practices. There was Vipassana and there was concentration. Yeah. Concentration was kind of like bad because you were getting into those euphoric states, but the real thing, the, the real deal was mindfulness, not concentration. Okay. And they were described as if there were two different teachings, so yeah. they were wrong. <laughs> no, it's actually true. There's different. There's. If, I'll repeat what Madison said. Basically, she said, when she was practicing with some teachers, some teachers say there's concentration and then there's vipassana, and you don't want to get caught in concentration because you'll get lost in the jhanas and the absorptions, and then you won't get, you won't do vipassana, and vipassana is really the way to enlightenment. And actually, when I grew up in the Dharma, that's what I was taught too. And it's not true. Not true in my experience at all. And it's not true depending on who the teacher is. The different Vipassana teachers will tell you different things. So I'm going to tell you what I think, which is it's not a problem. My understanding is it's very traditional in many, many meditation, both in... in um, the Theravadan in the Tibetan tradition, it's definitely true. You develop concentration in the service of awareness, and then that awareness leads to awakening. And they're not really two different things. The Buddha, here, for example, bum, bum, where is the Buddha? Somewhere. I had him around here somewhere. Too many papers. There it is. So like these absorptions, when he talks about the fourth level of absorption, he says, he says one enters and remains in fourth jhana, purity of equanimity and mindfulness, neither pleasure nor pain. One sits permeating the body with a pure, bright awareness. A pure, bright awareness. This is the deepest, one of the deeper levels of concentration. This is the level of concentration the Buddha, it said, was enlightened. He was in this state when he was enlightened, the fourth jhana. He says nothing, he says one is permeating the body with a pure, bright awareness. 
There is nothing of one's entire body unpervaded by pure, bright awareness. So, and then he goes on to give a simile. He says, just as if a man or a woman were sitting wrapped from head to foot with a white cloth so that there would be no part of their body to which the white cloth did not extend, even so the monk or nun sits permeating their body with a pure bright awareness and there is nothing of their entire body unpervaded by pure bright awareness. And so this is really the path of concentration and Awareness, they're not separate in this teaching that I'm offering you. And certain Vipassana teachers, Mahasi Sayada, which is in the tradition you were describing, he really made a big distinction between concentration and Vipassana. And just technically, especially if for people who want to know, what happened was there are different, there are different understandings of concentration some of which are so absorbed that there's no awareness. And so the fear was people would go into those kind of states of concentration. Those are not the states of concentration the Buddha described in the text. Those are from the commentaries, and there's you know all kinds of weird battles inside Buddhism about things like this. You, you just hit the point for me, because that teacher who I would have remembered again, right. he was... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, he was the main teacher of many of us in the early days. Mahasi Sayadaw, great teacher. It's a great teaching. But in terms of this part, listen to me. (laughs) 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 Or, you know, let's put it this here's how I really think about it. When you go do Mahasi style practice, do Mahasi style practice. When you do sit with, this is from Ajahn Lee Damodaro, different teacher, then you do this practice. And they're, they're all good. All the Dharma practices are good. Some are a little better than others. Eugene, <laughs> we're just coming around to the end of the Eightfold Path, and I'm just thinking about the concentration basket as a whole. And mm-hmm. It's just coming to my mind, well, why is concentration at the end? And I know it's not really the end, like you get right. somewhere and you're done. But right. um, anyway, I just, I'm feeling like wanting some picture of the whole and where concentration fits in. Okay, so, you, okay, so the Eightfold Path, three baskets, right? The wisdom basket is right understanding, right intention. The uh, virtue basket is right action, right livelihood, right speech. And then the contemplative basket, the samadhi basket, right energy, right eff- energy or effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. The three, effort, mindfulness, and concentration, all create sama samadhi, create the samadhi basket, are part of the samadhi basket. You need all three. And that's what I'm saying to you, Madison. It's not, oh, concentration or mindfulness. Even the Buddha, he said, right, en- right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. That's what brings contemplation. That's how you develop contemplation in this path. And then we'll talk next week. We'll, we'll go more into an ov- more overview of the path again. 
I realized the other thing I should say about concentration is a little bit about concentration in daily life. And the, the main thing that I can say is, there are two things I'd like to say. One is, I'd like you to begin to recognize, take this week, like we'll practice with right concentration this week, and then we'll talk about it a little more next week. But take this week and really see when are you concentrated. And it could be when you're, again, you're swimming, when you're reading, maybe you're playing golf, maybe you're gardening, uh, maybe you're making love. It's actually one of the parts of making love people like a lot. They're usually not thinking about yesterday or the day before. and They're, they're like actually in the moment with the experience. There's a lot of concentration. There's a lot of samadhi in lovemaking. Um, um, you know, see, where, where are you concentrated in your daily life? And then contrast that, where are you not concentrated? And what are, those diff what are the different experiences like? Where is there a sense of presence, wholeness, unity of mind, heart, body, or not? Okay, so that's one, one piece of your homework for this week. The other piece of your homework is um, experiment with doing one thing at a time because this will support that kind of presence, that brightness and fullness and hearness of awareness, one thing at a time. And one of the great things you can do is just eat a meal without reading, writing, texting, without listening to the radio, the TV, the internet, without even having a conversation with somebody. Just eat a meal when you're eating a meal. Or whatever it might be. Go to the bathroom without reading. You know, or whatever it might be where you're used to doing two things at once, or three things, or four things. See if you can do one thing at once. <laughs> Yeah, I just, I have to get that in, so, any, what else? Stan, please say your name, oh, sorry. Michael. Hi, Michael. No, stay standing, Michael. <laughs> Thank you, good. Um, you know, in this culture, it, it seems like the better people, the type A people, are just masters at, at multitasking, uh -huh. or they will claim to be anywhere. Right. And uh, so... That's what immediately came up when you suggested picking up one thing at a time. Yeah. And my response was, well, often uh, that's, that's what I have to do. <laughs> yeah. It's impossible to do, but I know that that's what I have to do because otherwise I just fly off in all directions. Um, well, wait, wait, wait. What do you have to do? You have to do one thing at a time. Right. Right. Well, I... I or you have to I, multitask. I, I internally know that that's that would be the best path to getting something accomplished. Right. Uh, and I was wondering if you could speak to that about this cultural value of, yeah. of doing many things at one time. Yeah. To relearn that. Yeah. Or it's a it's a practice, and you know, generally spiritual practice in general, contemplative practice, it goes against the stream of conventional reality. 
you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, here, I'm going to say something. I know this is bad, but I'm going to say it. Here's the real thing. If you really get concentrated, you can do a lot of things at once. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's really it's true. I mean, some of the people I know who are the most concentrated. They like do they do a lot. And some of those type A people who can do a lot, they have very good concentration. So, you know, let's be realistic. We are gonna. It's not like we're just gonna go step one step at a time all the time and one breath and oh I'm just lifting the paper now and I don't I'm not going to do any that's not how our lives are going to be but we can take some time every day and start to nourish ourselves by collecting composing centering in this way and then seeing how the impact it has as when we have to do a lot at once because that's going to be true also. And remember, it's a big, bright awareness. Like sometimes we're really concentrated when we're driving, but we're aware of a lot of things happening at once. It's not just narrow. Or, or like, you know, I was riding my bike today, and I was uh, somewhere, I almost had a little accident. <coughs> And of course, if you have an accident on the bike, it's not a little accident. Mm -hmm. but, but it was like, it was so interesting to see how something, I picked up something just at the last moment, boom, and I made the stop, and I didn't have an accident. And how, how uh, aware the awareness is often, you know. And so, you know, in one sense, I'm only doing one thing, I'm riding the bike. But riding the bike, I'm aware of so much that's going on, both internally and externally, all at once. Concentration can be really big. Okay. We're, we're going to stop here. We can pick it up, give it to me next week. Okay? Okay, let's sit for a minute before we end. I'll read you a poem from the Buddha to end. He said, for one who is joyful, there is no need for an act of will. Will, It is a natural law that the body will be serene for one who is joyful. For one of a serene body, there is no need for an act of will. It is a natural law that one who is serene will feel happiness. For one who is happy, there is no need for an act of will. It is a natural law that for one who is happy, the mind will be concentrated. For one who is concentrated, there is not need for an act of will. It is a natural law for one with a concentrated mind to know and see things as they really are. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.